Lord, we thank you for being with us throughout this whole year. There were some beautiful things this year in our lives individually, and there were bitter things this year in our lives individually, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you stood with us in all of it. Lord, we thank you for your promises and your word that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we thank you that we would remember, like Paul told us, to think of things that are noble and pure and good and trustworthy. Lord, that we would set our minds on you. And the easiest way to do that is to read your word and to remember and to be grateful. So Lord, I pray you'd speak through me, Jesus, less of me, more of you. And Lord, that we would be faithful, including myself, to prepare our hearts to receive your word and to live it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, we talked about Othniel, which is the, the first judge. You know, um, some people find it very strange that I'm teaching through the book of Judges when people say, oh, you go to church. Yeah, yeah, I go to church. And they're like, oh, so what's your pastor teaching? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know that guy. Uh, uh, you know, but then they find out that, you know, I'm, I'm the teaching pastor or like the, the, the Sunday morning guy. And they're like, oh, so what are you teaching through? Or what are you, um, what topics are you on? And I'm like, oh, we're, we're a church that does this expository teaching. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, we go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And they're like, wow, that must be boring. I'm like, you don't know me, baby. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. Um, but then they're like, oh, where are you in right now? And I remember, I've told you guys, when I, the one guy said to me, he goes, man, the book of Leviticus must stink. And I was just like, we're in Leviticus right now. And he's like, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, and actually, it's a great book. Because Leviticus is what teaches us that that Christ had to come to shed his blood because it, it teaches us as we look in the book of Hebrews that the blood of bulls and goats do not satisfy, that someone had to come, someone with an eternal be that was an eternal being to shed his blood so that he could die once and for all. A normal man couldn't do that. Only God man could do that. Jesus Christ, right? So then I told somebody recently, oh, we're in the book of Judges, and they're like, whoa, that must be boring. I was like, you've never read the book of Judges, right? Boring isn't what I would call it. Wild is what I would call it, right? Because it is talking about the Israelite society, right, without any regard for the Lord. They forgot. They forgot about the Lord. And then I look at our world and I think, man, it's just like the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's the book of Judges. And actually, the book of Judges closes with that sentence. Because every man did. And they're not just talking about men. They're talking about mankind. Men, women, they just did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't ask the Lord. They didn't look to see and say, Lord, what's your heart on this? And over and over again, the Lord just says, I just need one person that's willing to be obedient. I don't even care if you're a whole person. I just need someone 
who is willing. So we get guys like Samson. We get guys like guys that are righteous, like Othniel, who loved the Lord. And we get guys like Ehud, right? That's, that's who we're talking about today. We're actually talking about two guys today. We'll try to get through it. Ehud is our first guy. So I'll begin with the disclaimer that if you watch movies like, you know, like John Wick or things like that, this will be no problem for you, okay? But if you don't watch those movies because they're too violent, then start crying now, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, it is a bit violent. You're like, oh, okay. All right, so verse 15. Well, we find out that Israel is under Eglon of Moab for 18 years in verse 14. So Eglon enlisted the Amorites, the Amalekites as allies. He got everybody banded with him. And then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. Now, one thing that I'm going to tell you is when you become a tribute country, which means you are under the rule of somebody outside of your country, you have to pay them tribute. So you send tribute to them, and usually they come in and take all your weapons so that you can't revolt, right? You're going to have to come after them with bricks and sticks. So they take everything away from you. They take away your power, and then they exact all of your wealth from you, all of it. I want tribute. You come and bring me what I want. So really, you're a nation of slaves. Once again, Israel enslaved themselves by chasing other things, by chasing idols. The Lord said, if you live for me, you will live free. But if you go chase another, I will withdraw and I will let the horrors of this world overtake you. That's what he told them. And we see that with sin, it's the same way. The Lord's like, hey, I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want you to be free. What are we told in scripture? That if the son has set you free, who's the son? Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. And Paul tells us, listen, you can do whatever you want now. You're free, but be careful. He says, I can do all things, but not all things are beneficial. I can do all things. So I would paraphrase that and say, I can do all things, but be careful not to do things that put you back in prison, right? Be careful not to put yourself back in bondage, right? And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and we talked about this last time, uh, two weeks ago and the week before that, it does not say that Israel repented, it doesn't say that they turned from their ways. God is a loving father and he hears his child cry and he runs to their aid, even though they are naughty children, right? He is a good God. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. He is a loving God that says, listen, I know you're a sinner, right? What are we told in the New Testament? While yet we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He heard us crying. And he came, right? So then he hears them crying. He comes. It says the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man. Now, we might not think anything about that, right? A left-handed man. But traditionally, here and in the U.S., traditionally, in the days of old, like maybe five, six years ago, 
No, <laughs> no, but like, let's say generation, a generation behind us or two generations behind us, to be left-handed wasn't that great of a thing, right? They thought it was kind of evil, right, to be left-handed. I'm told in my wife's family that there was a conversation that happened, and this was maybe like 30 years ago, a conversation happened between my mother-in-law and her mother-in-law, okay? So one of my, um, it's like one of Claire's siblings is left-handed. And um, my father-in-law's mother said, do you see that? He's left-handed. What are you going to do about it? To which my mother-in-law said, nothing. I'm going to do nothing. And then she said, well, you know, um, my, my father-in-law's mother said, well, it didn't come from my side of the family. <laughs> right? But it's always, it's not so much today, right? But back in the day, to be left-handed was looked at as not that great. You know, even demonic, right? Oh, left-handed, woo, you know? The Lord doesn't view it like that, right? So he, he chooses Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man. And scholars believe that as the, as the Hebrew is written, that he had to be left-handed because it seemed like he had the disability in his right hand, right? So he was like Pastor Juan walking around, right? In a sling, using his left hand. Now I'm just, I like poking fun at my older brother. Anyway, <laughs> so let's say, let's say maybe he's disabled and that's who the Lord picks. Like there was no one else in Israel that had two good arms to give somebody a punch. To be a deliverer, you know, the Lord isn't looking for perfect. He's looking for willing, right? A lot of times we, you know, how, how the Lord told us uh, when Samuel was looking for the next king, right? After Saul had messed up, the Lord said, I want you to go, go anoint a new king. And he brings out King David's brothers. And man, they're tall, good looking, GQ looking men, Right? Looking good, they're soldiers, they're warriors, they're tall. And he brings out all them, six of them. And the Lord, and, he's, and Samuel's like, surely this is the one. I mean, look at that muscular chin. Look at this. This is the king, right? And the Lord's like, see, you look on the outside, but I look on the inside. I look on the inside, I look at the willingness of heart. I look at those that are available to me and willing to be obedient. And what did he say? Uh, he, he goes to Jesse, David's uh, father, and he says, uh, do you have one more son? Because we've run out of sons. The Lord doesn't want any of these. <laughs> and he said, yeah, yeah, I got one more. Get beggar boy from the back. <laughs> like, whatever. You know, like, oh, David, he's taking care of the sheep, you know? Nobody wants him. And he comes out. And we're told he, he was good looking, but he wasn't like tall like his brothers probably. And I mean, he's a shepherd boy. He probably smells like something. <laughs> My dad, he worked in a, a zoo on Staten Island when I was little. And the one thing I remember is he would come home from the zoo. He smelled like a goat. <laughs> I loved it. I loved his uniform just smelled like 
because he, he worked in the children's area, like the petting zoo area. So he would take care of goats and boars and, and geese and all these different things. He smelled like a goat. Imagine King David walking out smelling like a goat. <laughs> and the Lord's like, yes, that's the one I want. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> he picks Ehud, the left-handed guy. Now, there's something that's pretty cool about Israel is they had a whole platoon. In, in fact, the tribe of Benjamin had a whole platoon of, of elite soldiers, right, as, as scripture says. So that, they had like a whole SAS, right? We would call it like our Navy SEALs in the United States. They had a whole platoon of ambidextrous fighters. That's, that was their thing. They, it says they could sling a stone with both hands. So they're going in there slinging stones two-handed. But it says they had, Benjamin had a whole platoon of left-handed uh, stone slingers like they practiced. Here, we'll go to it really quick. It's in Judges 20. Judges 20, verse 16, and it says, Among Benjamin's elite troops, 700 were left-handed. And each of them could sling a rock and hit a target within a hair's breadth without missing without missing. Have you ever seen ancient stone slinging? It's not like a slingshot where you're just like, you know, trying to aim it up, right? I mean, these guys are like, I watched a couple videos on it because I thought that'd be pretty cool, but I think my neighbors would report me, right? They have this long thing that holds a stone and it just starts whipping around like, and then they, and it's like a bullet. It's like it, it obliterates anything it hits. So when we think of King David going up against Goliath and he just says, no, nah, I got my sling, bro. You know, and they're like, oh, you brought your pistol. <laughs> That's nice. Right. And then he launches that thing at Goliath. Of course, the Lord was with him. Of course, the Lord's might was with that little stone, that smooth little stone. But David was also prepared. He went there prepared for battle. What did he tell Goliath? The battle belongs to the Lord. Right? That's what he told him. That's what he said. And we're going to see that that same courage, it, it, it's something, it's like a thread that goes with all of God's people that trust him. This ability to be courageous, even though it looks like you're the underdog. They're not sitting there trusting in themselves. They're trusting in the Lord. So here we go. Ehud. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. Now we're going to see a man that not only is left-handed, but he's got a plan. Ehud's got a plan. All right. And he's going to enact his plan. And, and I think that when the Lord sends us to do something, it's good to sit there and ask the Lord for a plan, right? Not to, not to uh, hold weight in the plan, but to go prepared for what you're about to do, okay? So Ehud made a double-edged dagger, okay? He made a double-edged dagger. He got prepared. He made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. Now, remember, in this day, it was very strange for somebody to be left-handed. So he kind of knew 
when they come to check me, they're going to check the right side. Or if he had a disability, they're going to look at him and be like, this guy ain't got no weapons. <laughs> look at him. Gimpy over here. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to they're not going to check him. Right. And he thought, let me take advantage of the advantage the Lord has given me. Right. Sometimes we look at our ailment as something that stops us. But the Lord wants us to see it from his view, from his side and say, all right, this is how the Lord made me. Let the Lord use me. Bring all your little bits to the Lord. Remember like the little boy that brings, he just brings some fish and some loaves and he feeds 10,000. That's all we have to do. We just have to bring what we have. Don't worry about what we don't have. Bring what you have to the Lord. So Ehud brings it double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. I love that, right? <laughs> what do we know about Eglon? He was very fat. <laughs> he was the king, and he ate like a king, all right? <laughs> who was very fat. So he made a plan, he put in the work, and he knew his objective, and he knew who he was going to enact the plan on. So he had to know his target, right? After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. Now the plan begins, all right? He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you, right? He must have thought Ehud had treats for him. <laughs> or maybe he liked a good secret, right? I have a secret message for you. So then it says, so the king commanded his servants, be quiet, and he sent them all out of the room. He's like, I want to hear this message. I don't want anybody else to hear it. So then he, so somehow Ehud had gained his trust by bringing him the tribute money. He also used the way he looked probably. Let's say he had a disability. So then Eglon's like, what can this guy do to me? He doesn't even think about it. And he says, ooh, yeah, tell me your secret. Tell me your secret. So Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, he had reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. So it, it probably went pretty far through him, right? Um, and then all of a sudden, we see verse 23. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors. So Ehud's still enacting his plan. It's not like he freaks out with what he just did. He knows this is what he was sent to do. He's done it. Calmly goes over, locks the doors, closes them. And then he, escape, he escapes down the latrine. Okay? Now listen, if the Lord was telling me that this was the plan... I'd be like, isn't there a better exit? <laughs> like the window. 
So he's upstairs, right? And then he says, the Lord's like, I want you to go down the sewer. Okay. Like if you know me, right? I'm all right with sewers, but sewers invite creatures. Mike knows. One time I had a rat in my garage. I gave the rat my garage. I'm not going in there. You know, I remember, I've told you before, I mean, I grew up in New York City, man, those rats are big. They sit there, they wink at you, you know, and I'm like, yo, that guy's going to take my money. I only have 30, you know, 30 cents, but it will take it, right? I remember one time I'm walking into my grandmother's in Queens, and there was a, there was a diner on the side, and there were these big rats sitting up on their hind legs, just looking around, two of them. So then I go over, and I'm like, ah. Just look at me. Like, bro, who invited you here? <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, wrong party. I got to go. <laughs> they didn't move. They just looked at me like, what? I was like, okay. They were big, too. They were like this big. They were as big as my dog. <laughs> and they're nasty. So then, you know, like back in the day when this rat took my garage, and I was like, listen, I'm going to be okay. You aren't paying rent. That's good for six months. It's all right. It's all right. Like, we'll talk about the lease after. So then I was like, nah, my garage is closed until this rat dies or whatever happens. I'm not going in there. So then, so then Mike came over and he was like, Dave, we got, let's get this rat out of your garage. Let's start looking, man. This guy, he just starts like, ah, and I'm like, stop it. <laughs> but he did help me. We dug through the garage. Um, we found the rat like two days later. He was hiding in the corner. He was a big guy. He was big. He wasn't as big as those New York City guys, but he was still big. He was a big Birmingham rat, you know? And we got him out of there. We shooed him. I found him dead a couple days later. He ate all the poison. I mean, not even like, oh, he had like a bag or two. All the poison I put there, he brought back and he ate it all. So I found him dead a couple days later, like just laying. Actually, it was Mike who found him dead. He came to visit me and he goes, hey, there's a rat dead at the end of your driveway. The thing was like this big. I was like, you're right. It is dead. I think that's our rat. You know, I never saw him again. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so anyway, that's why I wouldn't want to go in the sewer. But he had, it, we don't see, he didn't, pro, he didn't have like a big protest or anything. I mean, my man just jumped down the latrine. He said, I got to go. All right. So that reminds me. Am I willing to do what the Lord wants me to do? Well, I'm not talking about making daggers and go visiting, you know, people or anything like that. But I'm talking about sometimes when the Lord tells me to do some, a job that maybe I don't think is that great. Am I willing to be obedient? Sometimes, you know, sometimes like let's say in church, sometimes the job that's open is like maybe serving for the children or doing coffee or, or hoovering or things like that. And you're like, yeah, that sounds great and all, but I want to be senior pastor. Okay. Well, I'll interview you. You can have the job next week. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no, but sometimes we want those shining jobs. We want to be in the worship team, but we don't want to help in other things. I'm just saying, I'm saying we, uh, you know where you sit, you know? I know I've been like that in the past, right? I did music ministry for like 20 years of my life. But before that music ministry started, I worked, 
I was a laborer on job sites and for landscaping, okay? My brothers and I, we had a band, we would play, and then we would go labor during the day. And I remember sitting in a hole, digging, and I'm, I'm by myself down there, so I'm just talking to the Lord. And I'm digging this hole. And I told you I worked this job where they like, they like to put roses in, but I had to transplant a three-meter cube of soil out of there so that the rose could survive because where I lived in Pennsylvania at the time was very, very rocky. It was, they called it shale, right? It was like slate in the ground. So I had to dig down and make a three meter cube in the ground and then put soil in and then put in the roses, right? So I'm in one of these holes, you know, I, I, by, by three meter cube, I mean, actually it's, it's a meter cube, so three feet down. So three feet down. I know you guys are thinking, my man had to dig like 15 feet in the ground. <laughs> Sorry, three feet down. So it was a meter cube. So then I had to dig down. And as I'm down there, I'm talking to the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, man, I just want to worship you. Like, I want to stand and sing songs with my brothers on stage. I just want to worship you. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. And the Holy Spirit told me, when you learn how to worship me in the hole, then you could worship me on stage. I didn't complain after that. I just said, okay, I'll start worshiping you where I am, right? Sometimes we're not willing to serve the Lord because what the situation isn't right, Lord. It's not right yet, you know? When I have a couple extra million in the bank... Then I'll see you. I'll meet you there, Lord. You know what the Lord says? He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. That's where we, we need to meet the Lord today in our little. So Ehud, he just serves the Lord. He does whatever he wants. Jumps in the toilet, goes down the sewer, and he's gone, right? After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using the latrine in the room. So they waited. All this time, it's giving Ehud the edge, right? He's running. He's gone. But when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor, right? So this was Israel's oppressor laying on the floor dead, dead. And who knows how long they've been waiting, and Ehud's gone. While the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sarah. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. So all of a sudden, he gets that horn, and he starts blowing it. And everybody knows it's time for war. You guys remember when we were going through um, the earlier in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy and things like that, there were certain uh, horn blows that would be given. And when the horn was blown for certain things, it meant war. Everybody assemble. There's war. There were other times when horns were blown and it meant it's time of celebration, right? So Ehud blows the horn and everybody knows to assemble for war, for war right? So everybody gets together. 
When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, uh, he had sounded the call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him. And the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. That means no troops in, no troops out. So now you can, now you can hold your ground. You can win a war. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. And let me ask you the question. Just think about it. Do you think it was because Israel was so skilled? It was because the Lord was with them, right? Because nothing changed except for one person being available to the Lord. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. Then we meet one of the judges that only gets one sentence. <coughs> After Ehud, Shamgar, son of Anath, rescued Israel. He once killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. <laughs> and you read that sentence and you think, Okay, bro. <laughs> but if you think about it, he is just like Ehud. He's available. Why would he have to use an ox goad to kill 600 people? Because there were no weapons. So he picks up an ox goad, which mo most of you guys I know are sitting here and thinking, what is an ox goad? Do you remember when Jesus says to Paul, why are you kicking against the goads, right? The goad was this eight foot long pole that you would use as your oxen were plowing the field, okay? So all oxen are, sometimes we think, oh, oxen must be some type of like Middle Eastern animal. It is a bull that has been made to work. That's what it is. So you've got two huge bulls on the front of this plow, and the way you keep them going is by using a goad, which is eight feet long, and it has a metal tip, and you prod them to keep going. Hey, we're still plowing. Keep going. And then on the other side of the goad would be this little spade piece that would help you to clear the plow as you're plowing your fields. So it's not a very sophisticated piece of equipment. It's not what you're using uh, in today's wars, okay? It's not what you used in yesterday's wars. You don't know, like, everybody pick up your ox goads. We're going to war. Everybody would be like, no, we're going to die. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> right? But then the Lord says, Shamgar, you have a very interesting name. I like you. <laughs> I need you to be obedient to me. Pick up the ox goad and get crazy. <laughs> like, like I, don't, I don't really know how that interaction went. But Shamgar believed the Lord. And he picked up this piece of farming equipment and he killed 600 men. 600 armed men. Do you think it was that Shamgar was like this great martial artist? 
that just knew how to use this eight foot long goad, ox goad. And man, they got videos of him on YouTube and everything. Everybody wants to learn his way. You know, I don't even know what his martial art is, is called, but it's called Shamgar Ox Goad or something. No, guys, he wasn't, it doesn't say he was a master fighter. We know, like Ehud, like Uthniel, he believed the Lord. And the Lord told him, take what you have and meet me out there. Take what you have and meet me out there. Hey, listen, as we end this year and head into a new year, are you willing to take what you have and meet the Lord? Am I willing? Sometimes we sit and we look and we say, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. This isn't right. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. And the Lord's like, that's great. You don't have those things because you don't need them right now. You don't need them. Say, Lord, but I'm broken. I'm mourning. I'm crying. And the Lord says, that's great. I can fix all of those things. I just need you to get up and meet me. Get up and meet me. Ehud did. What if he was disabled, right? Didn't matter. Shamgar looked around and he probably thought, man, I don't have a sword. I don't have a battle axe. I don't have a horse, <laughs> but I got this farming equipment piece here. And the might came from, from Shamgar, from Ehud, from Uthniel, because they believed the Lord. And they went forward saying, I will serve you. I am determined to serve you. There is a determination. And I remember um, talking about this with some people. I, I remember when this was taught to me that I give up too easy, right? I give up too easy. That's my human failing. Now, you wouldn't look at me and say, Dave, you're, you're like a guy that gives up. Do you know why? Because I've learned self-discipline and I've learned the discipline of believing the Lord and continuing on. And saying, you know what? If I die on the battlefield, I die on the battlefield for the Lord. If I'm out there serving the Lord, I, hey guys, as, as you serve the Lord, listen, there are days where you just want to quit. Not me, of course, because you are so lovely. Who would ever want to quit from you guys? That's a fairy tale and a half. <laughs> no, honestly, like any, anything we do, whether it's ministry for the Lord or your job. I mean, so, so we know what the Lord wants us to do, uh, and, and he wants to do the best thing for us, and that is moving forward in obedience to the Lord, right? Trusting him, moving forward. And I'm not talking about if you got some crazy harebrained idea. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Like, I'm talking about you surrendering before the Lord and you hearing the Lord and you following after him and saying, all right, okay, Lord. 
Sometimes that's even in the small places in our lives. Guys, do you know where I learned determination? It wasn't uh, learning it in front of people or because I had a chat with people. I, I had to learn it and resolve it in my life before God and God alone. Do you know where I learned to forgive people even though they don't deserve the forgiveness? Before God and God alone. There is a classroom that sits inside of each one of us, and the head teacher is, is Jesus Christ. And there are times where I have to come before him, and I say, it's just you and me. And I bring the thing before him, this is bothering me, or this is hindering my life. And I have to make a decision about it there, right? Whether it's forgiveness or whether it's uh, bitterness towards things in the past, I have to come before the Lord and, and I have to give those things up. I hand them to him. Or I have to come before the Lord and say, I will be determined for you. Even though failure may meet me at every step, I will go the way you told me to go. And a lot of times we're prepared for the bitterness. You know what I'm not prepared for? The good times. That my God is good. <laughs> that, a lot of times I'm not prepared for that. Like he gives you the desires of your heart and you're like, really? Okay. okay. Like, that's awesome. I didn't expect you to take care of me. But you did exactly what you say in your word. Right? Seek first his kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you. Just like Joshua. Joshua, this is what the Lord told Joshua. Joshua, you just be obedient to me. I'll take care of the rest. You just be obedient to me, Joshua, and I will make you a great man. What, what is it that each one of us want? Way down deep, right? We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. You know, we, we may want certain people to love us. But when we realize that we are made complete in Christ and that he loves us, he accepts us. Even if we're crazy or just a little bit crazy. He loves us. He accepts us. See, part of the reason why sometimes we don't um, follow along is because others aren't, right? We're like, well, my friends, you know, they're all hanging out over here. Uh, you know, Ehud, he didn't wait for anybody else. He didn't say, listen, if my friends will go with me into that room, then I'll do it. He knew he had to do it alone. And when he went there to do it alone, then he was able to run from what he had done, not, not to run away, but he was able to walk away what, for what the Lord had used him, and now he could encourage his brethren to come out. Sometimes the Lord asks us to walk this walk alone so that he can strengthen us, so that we can tell our brethren, come on out, the battle's ours. Come on out. 
It took King David to walk out onto that battlefield with Goliath to win for the rest of Israel to chase the Philistines. They weren't doing it before that. It took Ehud to go in to face his oppressor to take care of that so that he could run to the hills, blow that horn, and they could believe him. They could believe him. I told you this story a couple of months ago. Um, so I remember we had gotten a job, my brothers and I, so I'm one of six brothers. I have a sister. There's seven of us. So I'm one of six brothers, and the brothers and I used to work together all the time. And man, we needed some money, right? Like we were short on cash. And this guy told me, hey, if you clear my forest, you know, it's just, it's only 35 large trees. I mean, these were like oak trees. Like they were huge. I had to clear about 35 of those. And the man said, if you clear those trees, I'm going to give you $2,000. What he meant was I had to chop down the trees and remove the trees, right? All I heard was $2,000. And I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> so I said, I could do this with my brothers, right? It is February in Pennsylvania. It is ice cold. The trees have like a jacket of ice on them, right? So I say to my old brother, yo, Juan, while we're busy, why don't you just go chop down a tree so that we could get started, right? So Juan goes out there, and my brother Juan is a hard worker. He goes out there, and he goes out there with one of my other younger brothers, probably Nick, I think, and they go out there, and they try to chop it back, and man, I'm standing in my mother's florist, because so, she, she's a flower arranger, a florist by trade. And I'm standing in the florist, and I remember my older brother coming to me and saying, Dave, tell the dude we can't do this job. Those trees are frozen. We can't do this job. So then I look at my youngest brother. His name's Marcos, and Marcos... I could always, you know, like count on Marcos, that if Dave's got a plan, Marcos is with him, right? Marcos is that brother that will, he will march into war with you. And then he's like, where are the other troops? And I was like, just you and me, bro. <laughs> and he's like, okay. <laughs> so we go out there and I said, Marcos, we got to chop down some trees so that these brothers believe that we can do this job. We got to chop down a tree. We got to chop down just one, right? So I was there and I was determined. And I chopped down one tree. And I chopped down two trees. And I chopped down three trees. And I chopped down four trees, enough trees for there to be evidence to my brothers, we can do this, right? So I go back and I say, man, bro, we chopped down four trees. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, we'll be back there next week. We'll chop them all down. Everybody was in, right? Sometimes you got to go out there. You have to be determined on what you know. I knew that the Lord wanted us to take this job, right? I needed that 2000 <laughs> And I, I was praying, Lord, provide a job or something that we can get money to pay these bills. And he did. The Lord said, I want you to chop down a forest. So we went out there. We did honest work. I remember we were out there, and we had chopped all the trees down. They were all laying there. All these, and we started logging them. And then I ordered one of these industrial chippers, right? The guy drove it out to us in the field. And he said, you chipping, you chipping trees? How long did you rent this? I said, we just need it for the day, 24 hours. And he goes, yeah, you're going to chip all of this in 24 hours? Man, you need this for a week. And I said, don't you worry about it. Be back later tonight, right? 
man, we started chipping like machines, right? This thing did not turn off. We were just throwing. <laughs> I almost threw my brother in there. <laughs> and we chipped it. And the guy came back and he goes, I didn't believe, I have never seen a mountain of chippings that big before. <laughs> you guys did it, right? I know we did it because the Lord was with us, all right? I'm not saying, oh, look at me. I'm saying, we need to be determined when the Lord sends us for something and not give up. And in doing that, we will encourage others to seek the Lord. They will say, there's something in this. Not out of our own strength and our own want to do it, but our want to love the Lord and asking him to be with us as we lead, as we roll out to do what he wants us to do. We need to be like Ehud, who trusted the Lord, even though he was a left-handed man. We need to be like Shamgar, who only had some farming equipment to kill 600 men. We have to be willing. Then, um, as you are strengthened by the Lord, you can then encourage others to follow after him, to follow Jesus in his victory, and you can care for them. Care for the ones that are coming, that you have encouraged to go forward with you. Give whatever you have been given to the Lord, talents, skills, give whatever you've been given to the Lord, stand for him courageously, and trust Jesus to bring about great things for his glory. Colossians 3.23 tells us to do this. We can flip there really quick, and I'll finish with this. Colossians 3, 23, it says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And the master you are serving is Christ. He is Christ. Be determined to follow the Lord. Don't look around and see what you lack. Look around and see what you've been given and move forward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the examples of your word, Lord, even in the Old Testament. But Lord Jesus, we know that you're with us. We know that you can empower us through your Holy Spirit. We know that you direct us through your word. And Lord, you direct us as you remind us of your word as we walk. Lord, that we would be determined to serve you, to love you. Lord, that we wouldn't be caught up in looking at what we lack, but we would be caught looking at what you've given us to hand back to you and say, Lord, use this. It's yours. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us as we enter this new year, Lord. Lord, as we look around this world, there are wars, rumors of wars. There are things going, happening uh, in broad daylight, in darkness, Father God, but that we wouldn't live in fear. But we would live in hope, knowing that you are coming. Lord, that we wouldn't live um, worrying about the end of the world, but that we would live knowing that you're coming and we want to be found faithful. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.